The following audio is from the Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Alcatraz, uh, you see it on the video, but many of you in this room don't know that I have been calling this man Alcatraz for the better part of 25 years because um, I met Bill Kloon about then, and uh, he's here tonight, probably one of the last guards uh, at Alcatraz before it was turned into a tourist attraction. So why don't you give Bill Kloon a hand for being here tonight? <clears throat> well, Bill, it really is an honor, and again, to have known you for the last 25 years, and um, a lot of visits, a lot of conversations, and hearing some, uh, some pretty fascinating stories um, about your life, not only at Alcatraz, but your life in general, uh, but connected to Alcatraz. It is fascinating. Um, but uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. I got some questions I'm going to ask you, and depending on how we do time-wise, uh, we're going to open up the floor maybe for some questions. But uh, why don't we jump in with uh, how long were you a guard in the nation's prison system? Because this is something you've been doing for a long time, aside from just your time at Alcatraz. 70, 17 and a half years. 17 and a half years in the prison system. And, and never incarcerated during that time. I was never incarcerated. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you know Bill at all, some of you are aware of how old he is. If not, um, Bill Clune is 96 and a half years old. And um, yeah. So let me, let me ask you this. What, uh, what made you take, uh, first take that job at Alcatraz? What was it that was there for you? I had to take a civil service examination to get on the register for the federal uh, prisons. And I didn't want to go to the farthest place in the nation because they had about 13 prisons in the United States. And I wanted to stay as close to home as I could. So they gave me an option to go to Alcatraz over McNeil Island, which were both federal prisons at the time. And the closest I could get to home was Alcatraz. Wow. So um, you were, were you just a single guy working at Alcatraz? No, I was a married man working at Alcatraz. And uh, no kids, though? I had three children, and they all three lived on the island with us. Isn't that fascinating? Three kids, a wife, and Bill living on Alcatraz with all um, of the prisoners, everybody there. Um, did you ever fear for your life or the safety of your family while you were there? No. Uh, the island was operated with such a method of concise operations. Everything was done precisely every day. So every man had to read his post analysis before he went on the job every day. Because you don't want to mess up there. Yeah. So you never feared for your, your safety or the safety of your family? No, no. However, there was one occasion that uh, I had to deal with a man because I was a utility officer in the cell house. And uh, the, the, his last name was Gilson. He had robbed a bank in San Francisco. And when they walked out of the bank, he killed two people. And when the judge asked him, why did you do that? He said, they were standing there. Well, that's the type of a man he was. His sentence to Alcatraz was 399 years and life. <laughs> On this day that I had to deal with him, 
he was, he'd come out of the library because he wanted to do some writ work. And he stood outside of his house. I went at the end of the cell house and opened his door for him. And I told him to step in from the end of the cell house. Well, he didn't do that. He just stood there. So I walked down to him and I said, walk into your house, Gilson. And he took a look down at me and he says, look, kid, I ain't got a thing to lose. For 399 years, he says, are they going to put me in jail? So a senior officer walked up at that very moment and said, you heard the man, Gilson, step in your house. So he stepped right in. And uh, the rule was at Alcatraz, when you got yourself in a situation, we always carried, every man carried a whistle. The whistle meant that there was trouble, and no matter where the officers were at the time, if somebody blew that whistle, they went running to the whistle. And I had my hand in my pocket, on my whistle, when the senior officer said, told him to step in his house. And when he did, he did me the biggest favor in the world, because he said, what would you have done if you wouldn't have gone to his house? And I just pulled my whistle out of my pocket, and I said, he's going in. And that's all I said. Well, because he had 399 years and life, he was a top inmate at Alcatraz. They honored him more because of his time he had to serve. Strange phenomenon with people, but that's what it is. And uh, over my course of period of time, that was my roughest incident that I had to, I had to make a decision, what was I gonna do? And, and uh, when a, New man comes to Alcatraz, he's a fish. Both inmates and officers, they're called fish. I mean, they're just new on the job. And so that's when the inmate will try you on for size. And well, they do in all prisons, but Alcatraz probably is the worst of any because it was the worst prison in USA. And, and to give you an idea what kind of inmates there were at Alcatraz, they were 65% of every man there was 95% psychopath. So if you get an idea of what you're dealing with when you're dealing with a whole bunch of men of the same ilk. And it, it was noted while I was there that uh, there was a, an average, I mean, there was a riot of some magnitude once a week during the life of the prison. So you're dealing with people that are very flaky uh, they're going to act out, and if you've watched any of these films like you've seen up here a little bit ago, <coughs> even the, the inmates are the worst prison, the worst place they could ever be. They'd rather die and, and go wherever than to have to suffer uh, going through Alcatraz. And very few men come off Alcatraz uh, with any redemption value at all. <coughs> I, I would like to add one thing. There's a family, the Butterfields. You ever heard the Butterfields? Oh, yeah. Well, their son, the youngest son, was at Alcatraz when I was there. And since that time, he's left, the, he's got out of prison. He got out of Alcatraz. And uh, he moved to California and uh, got married. And he became a Christian. After as many years, and he was a recalcitrant of the worst kind. He would not behave in McNeil Island, so they had to take him or bring him to Alcatraz to quiet him down. 
And that's why most of them get into prison trouble because they want to dent themselves and as a consequence they go to the worst prison. So let me go back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back in a second to the stories and, and some of what you experienced there. But um, 22 acres, the island is 22 acres. And we were talking a, a minute ago about your family being there. But um, what would your wife, what would your kids do? I mean, did they go out and play? And, you know, how does that work when you're on an island like that? They had a cement uh, yard area for the children. And uh, they never got to spend much time there. Because if you're familiar with Alcatraz, it's at the gate where it opens out into the ocean through the, through the narrows there. And if you know anything about the valley, up north, it's hot all day. And as a result, they had 40 to 50 mile an hour winds across that island 24 hours a day. And your kids are not going to go out there and play. And we didn't want to let our children go out because it wasn't safe. Yeah. 45 mile an hour winds is pretty tough for little ones. Yeah, no kidding. Um, what was your average day like as a guard? Uh, the principal idea was to keep total control of the prison. And at Alcatraz, it was a silent system. And by saying the silent system, nobody spoke when they were out of their cell. You had to, they had to keep silent because if they spoke one word, they were going to go to the hole. And uh, the reason for that is words cause fights, fights cause riots. And so they had to keep total control of the island 24 hours a day. Yeah. How many of you guys have ever been to Alcatraz? Obviously, as a tourist attraction. Raise your hands real high. Okay, so maybe a quarter of the people in the room. Um, so in Alcatraz, the prison itself, you had, from what I understood, there was cell block A, cell block B, and cell block C. And cell block C was used for solitary confinement. Is that right? Yeah, for, for individuals that could not mix with the, the rest yeah. of the inmates. So how often did you have to deal with bringing people into solitary confinement? Uh, what, what happened while I was there? I was only on island for four, uh, for four and a half months. So, and the only reason I uh, left then is because I had to get closer to home. My wife wasn't healthy at that time, so we had to get, we should get doctoring. But at the four and a half months, I learned all the lessons I needed to know about Alcatraz. Yeah, I bet. One of the, one of the things that, that has always fascinated me about your story, Bill, is um, your faith and how your faith has been shaped by some of those experiences you've had in the past. But you know, when I look at you and, and, you know, being, I guess, a bit older now, it's, it's fun to hear those stories, but it's also amazing to hear how God has shaped you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, those experiences maybe with the prison, but how you've been shaped by experiencing what you have, whether at Alcatraz or any one of the, the places you've been as well, a guard? Well, like any gemstone you find in this world, you have to polish it to make it beautiful. And uh, I'm not saying I'm beautiful by any stretch, but... Well, I think you are, so... But God takes the rough edges off with people just like we do with the gems. And uh, it takes time. I, uh, I was a Christian when I was there. But when you're a guard, you can't practice Christianity as trying to deal, lead them to the Lord. That's not your job. They have, uh, they have uh, people that do that kind of work, and you don't mess with that. But uh, and for my own life... Uh, I guess I'm like anybody else. If you get in a rough spot, you're going to get the rough spots work off you. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I was just a farm boy, logger and a farmer in my young life. And uh, I didn't have any, no polished about my uh, etiquettes or anything. And uh, it took Christianity to change me. And it, it changed me a whole lot. But it's been uh, 70 years, and as a matter of fact, in November, it'll be 71 years. And it started in Marysville Church when it was up on Delta, 4th and Delta. Yeah, this church used to be on 4th and Delta, which is about where the Dairy Queen is today, yeah. from what I understand. Um, tell us a little bit about that. If you go back 70, almost 71 years, um, your life intersecting with Christ. Tell us about that moment. It was kind of strange in that uh, I had three children at that time. My wife was in a tuberculosis sanatorium. Two of my children were in another home, a Christian family's home. And my boy was in another fam uh, home. And I was out of a job. And I was, what you say, down the bottom of the barrel. And uh, it was because of them circumstances that I give my life to Christ. It was on a Sunday night, November the 10th, 1946. So you were in a church service when that happened? I went to a church, yes, but I got saved on my way home. I gave my heart to the Lord on the way home, driving home. You held out through the service and then went home and took care of business. <laughs> so. uh, is there a lesson we should learn there or is that? Uh, no comment. <laughs> good answer, good answer. Well, going, going back to the Alcatraz part, um, you mentioned one of the stories about the guy who wouldn't go into his cell, into his home. Um, what Any other fascinating stories that you experienced? I've heard quite a few over the years that we've talked about. Well, actually, off the top of my head, being 96 years old, I don't remember but much as I should. <laughs> and, uh, well, you get a free pass on that. Yeah, I, to be particular right now, I can't put an incident. This was an amazing incident to me because I had to deal with something that could go either way. Yeah. Because yeah. they flip out. Very, very readily they flip out, right. and you got to be able to handle it at the time, so I never lost my memory at all. Yeah. Do your kids have memories of being at Alcatraz? Very much so. And do they ever talk about those with them much? Oh, yes, yes, they do. Wow. Among themselves, they talk Alcatraz. Yeah. But you stop to think about it now. I'm 96 years old. I was 34 years old when I went to work there, and all the people that were there were as old as I was or older. So you can see there's not many of them left that yeah. can sit here and never tell you anything about Alcatraz. Yeah. Who were some of the more famous people that you remember being at Alcatraz? Well, uh, uh, I don't know how many of you folks have ever heard of the Weyerhaeuser kidnapping. Anybody here ever hear about the little Weyerhaeuser boy kid kidnapped and ch uh, killed? I see one gentleman over here. Uh, Harmon Whaley was one of them people. He had a partner, and he had to keep in two different prisons so they wouldn't get together and make uh, condition stuff for the institution. Uh, another one was Martin Sobel. Uh, some of the older folks will remember that during World War II, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were the last two American people killed because of spying for the enemy, for Germany. And their uh, Mrs. Rosenberg's brother, Martin Sobel, was at Alcatraz because of his uh, being a traitor to the USA. Mm. And then there was another man at, at uh, Alcatraz. I can't remember his name right now, but he was a, a German, 
and they caught him off the coast of, uh, of Washington and Oregon, right, Astoria, Oregon, and he was in, he had uh, come in on a submarine, he was going to sabotage USA. He wasn't really what you call a really a smart one because uh, he got caught, it was almost laughable the way he got caught. But these are some of the uh, names that Alcatraz are known for. Yeah, what, what, what do you feel like was the most difficult part of your job? At Alcatraz? Yeah. I think the uh, precision that the prison was run under, because you had to learn, mm -hmm. and you couldn't afford to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And uh, something that most folks don't think about on the outside, but in prison, the inmates have 24 hours a day to think. An officer only has eight hours, because yeah. he goes home, he forgets yeah. about it. But yeah. the inmate is always planning and plotting against the uh, institutional staff. So did you ever have to, uh, did, did they ever get away, try to get out, try to escape while you were there? At Alcatraz? Yeah. No. Not while no. you were there? No, there, there's, there's a story going around that there's two men escaped from Alcatraz, yeah. and there was a su successful escape. There has been no successful escapes at Alcatraz, and uh, when they got some of these stories, like when Kennedy died, they had a lot of different versions of Kennedy's death. Well, at, uh, the only two people that ever got off the island were never seen again anywhere, and the type of individual that they were, braggadocio type people, and they would have bragged about getting away from Alcatraz, and no one had ever seen them, and just uh, about four weeks ago, they had a, a video yeah, I saw that. about the sharks in the area. There were sharks in the area when they were in there, too. Yeah, slim they chance never they'd were be getting seen. They had devised uh, a pair of jeans like these, and they had waxed them repeatedly so they would hold air. And then they tied the knots and, and made them sufficient for flotation, but not for very long because you know the thing about the San Francisco waters. It's 52 degrees and below 24 hours a day. And they say that no one can survive that water any period of time. Yeah. And the only other four men that tried to escape were the Barker brothers, and two of them were killed in the fall because they jumped over the cliff. It's an 80-foot drop, and there were rocks as big as that uh, chair you're sitting on with sharp, jagged edges on it, and that's what they landed on. And the other two men were hurt so badly that they, they brought them back to try to recover them. What do you know about, the, talk about some of the underground tunnels or some of what lies underneath Alcatraz. Is that stuff there? Absolutely. Uh, some of you folks that visited there, did when you went up from where the boat landed and you walked towards the, there was an old apartment down here on the other side of the island was the new apartments. But as you walked through the old apartments, if you looked underneath the rocks, you seen a big iron gate in there. Well, that was the Spaniards that built that prison in the 1800s, mm -hmm. and that's still there today. Mm -hmm. wow. However, they could not use it for any purpose, and not even for storage, because them rocks that that island's built of eventually come down mm -hmm. one after another. So those those are there, but they're not. You, they, you guys didn't use them for anything, well, and nobody used no, them for anything. No, they were all locked up. Okay. No use uh -huh. whatsoever. So from from your perspective. Um, you know, you hear, again, we mentioned a little bit ago the stories of um, escape attempts, people trying to get away, but from your perspective, you don't think anybody's ever escaped from Alcatraz and actually lived to tell about it. No, I don't think so. Hmm. Very well, yeah. Um, have you been back to the island since you were a guard there? No, I've, 
I've uh, passed it. I glided through San Francisco one time on a trip, yeah. and yeah. I just looked over there. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, and we'll leave it way over there where it used to be in my life. Now, for some people, four and a half months was enough. Yeah. Now, how about some of the movies that, that have Alcatraz? I'm thinking of, like, The Rock. Is it Sean Connery? Is that The Rock? Any, you ever watch anything like that? Nicolas Cage? Is that yes. what it was? Okay. There, some of the Hollywood movies are so far-fetched from what reality. <laughs> Wait, movies aren't that real? <laughs> Just you, kidding. You can't believe what's real and what's not real. It's yeah. such a difference. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Bill... Um, I want to talk a little bit about you know you having you know here you are 96 and a half and, and some of the conversations that I've really loved and appreciated. Um, love to hear a little bit about how God has shaped you over the years. I know we talked a little bit about when you're spending time you know in in a prison environment, um, but what would you say to a room full of guys like this? Many of us in here, I think probably all of us in this room, um, younger than you. But what would you say to us just about our faith and walking out what God would have for each of us? Well, I think just like the Bible says, hang in there. Hang in there. Sometimes it's tough. And there's another thing about people. We're not all made the same way. And some of us are easily uh, molded. Some of us are harder material, and it takes a little more polishing. Mm -hmm. And I've, uh, in my 96 years of life, I've learned that we are not all the same. Yeah. And uh, we really only have to answer to God, not to each other. Uh, about our salvation per se. Yeah. And uh, I think what we each got to walk our valley all by ourselves, and uh, that's the way I feel about it. Yeah. It's a long, long road, yeah. 96 years. I've been a Christian over 70, yeah. and uh, it's been polishing all the way. Right. And like I said, some are made of harder material than others. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Well, we appreciate you coming, and, uh, you know, there was a time even probably a month ago where we weren't sure if we were going to be able to even do this because you just weren't feeling real good, and we were even praying for you, wanting God to, to heal you, and, and so far we're grateful to be able to have, you know, moments like this, but I'd love to take a moment and, um, and pray for you. Um, I know health has been a challenge at certain times over the last little bit, and, um, you know, if you see Bill, he comes around a lot of times. He's not here every Sunday, but um, he'll come. We have a class for seniors at, at 945, and he's around. Um, sometimes he's in service with his wife, Irene. Uh, but if you see him around, you know, definitely say hi to him. He's a great guy. And um, it's really been an honor to know you, for honestly, for the last 25 years, Bill. I have so much respect for you and appreciate so much your encouragement, your support. And even as a pastor who's, you know, at this point still less than half your age, I really appreciate who you are in Christ and, and your love for me, too. So. I'm going to turn the table on you. Uh oh 25 years ago when you come walking through that door as a teenager. Yeah, we should cut this out and be, <laughs> so let's just, we're going to pray. Yeah, go ahead. Please. I was an usher along with other folks in the doorway that leads out to the street out there. And I said to my wife, that's a good kid. And just the way you presented yourself. And uh, by this time I had dealt with a lot of people in, in uh, prison one thing or another. So it's pretty easy for me to good side, bad side. And uh, I gotta say, Nick, over the years, you've been a pretty good guy too. So you said I was a pretty good guy, but I gotta turn the tables. Uh, I'm proud to say that you're my pastor. Well, that means more than you could ever know. So thank you for that. Can we pray for you? 
Amen. Why don't you stretch your arms out towards Bill? We're going to pray tonight. Father, thank you so much for uh, my friend and somebody that in this room many of us have such a respect for. God, we pray you'd continue to surround him and and even the conversations that we've had, especially over the last year, about certain moments where, you know, I'm ready to go home, I'm, I'm okay, that God, there is a certain peace that Bill has that I appreciate so much, that over 96 years, God, you've done so much to um, smooth out the rough edges, God, to continue to build him up and, and help him to be a, a shining light and, and a, a source of encouragement to so many, including myself, God. And so we're grateful for that security that, that he holds on to, and it has everything to do with his faith, is that has everything to do with who Christ has been to him. So we pray you'd continue to surround him, you'd continue to restore him, and even this morning, as I read in the reading plan, God, that, that at the point that Moses would had finished out the end of his life, God, the Bible says that he was strong all the way to the end, that that would be my prayer for Bill, a man who, even at 96 and a half years old, is strong, is still sharp is still able to process so much of his life, God, and continue to be a man of prayer and encouragement, a man of worship and, and the joy of Christ exuding from him. Bless him, surround him, help us as a church body and as men to continue to be supportive of him, as well as many other guys around that we're all in different age brackets in this room, but I pray that we would have each other's backs, God, that we would care about one another, even as the Bible says, God, and have that mutual respect for one another, God, just like Bill and I have. I love it, I appreciate it, and we pray you bless him for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 Why don't you give him a hand one more time. Thank you, Bill, for being here. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.